Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Witch Witches Witch, a pop culture podcast about ladies who use magic. I'm Derek. And I'm Regina. And today we're going to be celebrating Mother's Day with our favorite mother witches. Happy Mother's Day, Regina. Thanks, Derek. You're a mother and not just of the badass variety. (laughs) Yes. Yes, I am. Yeah, we're going to celebrate our favorite motherly witches today. So, Derek, what witch mama are you going to talk about today? I would love to tell you a little bit about Queen Beryl from Sailor Moon. What? You still have not found the legendary silver crystal? No. Then you must search harder. The great ruler needs massive amounts of energy and can't be kept waiting. As you command. Jadeite. Yes. As I'm sure you've heard, the legendary silver crystal has not been found. So I want energy to be harvested from humans instead. Rest assured, I have already taken care of it. I love Sailor Moon. Oh, I love Sailor Moon so much. So Queen Beryl is the antagonist in the first volume of every version of Sailor Moon's adventures, from the manga to the anime to the live-action series and back again. She is the Queen of the Dark Kingdom, or Negaverse in the American release, where she watches over Earth through her crystal ball and sends her wards off to destroy the forces of peace and love and all that junk. While she doesn't have any children of her own, per se, the other members of the Dark Kingdom look up to her as a maternal figure and seek her approval, specifically the four heavenly knights, Jadeite, Nephrite, Zoocyte, and Kunzite. That's awesome. I didn't actually realize that Queen Beryl was the antagonist in all of the Sailor Moon franchises. Yeah, every time they have reinterpreted the story of Sailor Moon, the first arc is always Queen Beryl. Huh. And there's a very good reason for that, because Queen Beryl is the one directly responsible for the fall of the previous generation of of the Sailor Scouts. I see. Interesting. So let's get into what makes Queen Beryl a witchy witch. The first rule of witchiness is that the witch in question identifies as female. Does Queen Beryl identify as female? Yes, Queen! <laughs> Beryl is all the way a lady. Sailor Moon as a whole is often referenced as one of the most lady-centric pieces of sci-fi fantasy, and a lot of that has to do with the majority of both heroes and villains being definitively female. Beryl is the most iconic of Sailor Moon's enemies, primarily because she is such a striking image of your typical woman scorned, a towering visage of elegance and poise while striking fear into the hearts of her own subordinates, each of whom are genuinely terrifying, making Beryl appear all the more threatening as the series progresses. Yeah, she is quite scary and also very chic. Yeah, she's got a real strong look to her. Very angular, they got the big red hair, the long purple gown. She's got those like super spindly, long, but still kind of lithe and lovely arms that genuinely like sort of wrap around her crystal ball. Mm -hmm. She is like the Mm -hmm. image of the sort of gorgeous evil witch. I love it. Tell me, you, you mentioned her crystal ball. So tell me in regards to the second rule of witchiness, does Queen Beryl practice magic? Yeah, so Queen Beryl's power is mostly seen in her ability to corrupt people, places, and things, bending them to her evil will. Most of her lieutenants were actually allies of the Sailor Scouts in a past life and have simply been pulled under Beryl's thrall. Even before she became all corrupted and evil, though, Beryl was a sorceress on Earth in a previous life, though apparently an unimpressive one, so magic was always a thing for her. I'm trying to think about 
the other kinds of magic that I can remember Queen Beryl practicing. I mean, she uses her crystal ball. Yeah, which is mostly to sort of observe what's happening on Earth or keep tabs on her minions. Mm -hmm. The crystal ball is really just like her, her sort of like tracking device. Right. And what about her minions? Do her minions practice magic too? Oh, yeah, they definitely do. They summon huge monsters. They shoot lightning they like turn into giants they do all of your typical like cartoon super villainy things and they are all just sort of helpless to beryl's whims she orchestrates them like a puppet master I see. and that is not because they genuinely love her it's because she has thrall over them thrall. and it's very much about that corruption oh so like beryl herself was corrupted by a malicious energy force and that is where she gets her, like, sort of overwhelming power from. I see. So she's just sort of sharing that corruption with all of her Equal minions. opportunity corruption. Yeah, she's a middle manager of evil. Got it. So as a middle manager of evil, does Queen Beryl practice feminism, the third wall of witchiness? So I feel very strongly that Queen Beryl is absolutely feminist. And it all starts with Beryl's arc as a villainess being that she was spurned by the prince she loved. And rather than see the object of her affection go off and marry the princess of the Moon Kingdom, Beryl organizes an army of her fellow Earthlings and declares war on the moon, killing her wayward prince herself in battle. And when everyone involved in the conflict was reborn on Earth sometime later in the 20th century, Beryl is the only one who remembers the war. And so she starts quietly raising her army up again and hunting for those who stood against her in the Moon Kingdom before they know any better. Basically, she's a little bit Hell Hath No Fury and a little bit freedom fighter standing up for her people, just maybe not in the most optically positive way. So let me see if I can wrap my head around what exactly is her motivation for being so evil. Because I love Sailor Moon, but for some reason, I like, I can't really recall too much about Queen Beryl herself. So she was scorned by a lover, mm -hmm. and then instead of being sad about that, decided to wage war on the moon. Well, as you she do. had a thing for Prince Endymion. Right. And he sort of looked over her and fell for Princess Serena. Right. Serenity. Yeah. However you want to call her. Whoever she is at the time. Beryl, as an earthling, is like, how can our earth prince leave us for the moon? Like, that's treachery. That's like some real Romeo and Juliet stuff happening. And Got it. from the perspective of everyone in Romeo and Juliet, except for Romeo and Juliet, that's not cool. Yeah, not cool. Like, you went to the enemy's side. And so Beryl is very much standing up for her people and uh, saying, like, maybe you sort of mind clouded our prince. Maybe something's happening here. That's not cool. I have to stand up for my people. Mm -hmm. I have to rally my people, which are the people of Earth. People of Earth. And she led the charge against the very powerful, magical people of the moon. So she was doing what seemed right for her and her people. And she took it upon herself to stand against A, royalty, B, magical people, and C, the man she Interesting. Loved. See, one of the things I love about doing this and like doing this research and looking at things from this angle is that it makes me totally revisit my feelings on Sailor Moon in general. Mm -hmm. Like, I love Sailor Moon. Oh, yeah. Like, Usagi is like one of my favorite characters ever. And I like her because I identify with her love of boys and love of eating lots of food. Mm -hmm. But when I hear you describe Queen Beryl and 
her story and her motivations. And it seems like maybe Sailor Moon, the story of Sailor Moon might have been about the wrong protagonist. Like maybe Queen Beryl should have been the star of Sailor Moon. Maybe it shouldn't have been Sailor Moon. It should have been, you know, Queen of Earth. Yeah, it's all a matter of perspective, which side you're looking at. And there's a lot redeemable about at least the early part of Queen Beryl's story before she Mm -hmm. goes full evil. Yeah, the initial motivations of her war against the moon are pretty relatable. Mm -hmm. If you've only seen the American version of the anime from the 90s, then you didn't really get this because it didn't go into her backstory there. It's all in the manga, and I think they covered it in the redone anime a couple years ago, Sailor Moon Crystal. I don't know. I didn't watch it because I prefer the 90s version. Yeah, I didn't watch it. The 90s version is the first cartoon that I ever like woke up early on a regular basis (laughs) to watch because our local syndicate had it on at like 6 a.m. on Saturdays. That's awesome. And so I stumbled upon it one day, and it was my first real anime series that I got into and I would just wake up early every week to watch the next one. That's awesome. I also have like a deep devotion to Sailor Moon from my childhood. I also love the 90s cartoon and Sailor Moon was actually the very first thing that I like scouted eBay for. Mm-hmm. Like I I would search eBay for English dubs of all of the different movies yep. that were all differentiated by letters and it was really confusing mm-hmm. and I just remember like spending so much time on eBay looking for VHS tapes of Sailor Moon in English. When I finally hit teenage years and started coming into New York City to do comic book shopping, like at the at the Midtown Comics near Times Square, mm-hmm. my earliest memories of like real comic book shops in New York was going there and seeing their wall of bootleg Japanese Sailor Moon with like fan-made dubs. And I was like, oh my god, I can finally see what happened after <laughs> WPIX stopped broadcasting it. That's awesome. Such hard eyes for Sailor Moon. Okay, anyway, getting back on track. Let's talk about the fourth rule of witchiness, that the witch in question be persecuted or misunderstood. Tell me about how Queen Beryl is persecuted or misunderstood. Well... Maybe in the angsty teenage way of the teenage boy rejected me and therefore life is unfair. Mm -hmm. Really, Beryl mostly works in the shadows and the good guys aren't really aware of her schemes at all. Really, Beryl is the one who takes all the instigating actions. Nobody directly comes at her, so I don't think she's persecuted per se but i would argue that she's a little bit misunderstood in what we had just discussed in that she was kind of a freedom fighter kind of yeah who just turned evil i'll allow it i feel like that checks off the box of being misunderstood i feel like there have been less compelling arguments for misunderstanding (laughs) made before sure Oh, and now what about the final rule of witchiness, that the witch in question be bonded to sentience larger than herself? Yes, absolutely. So as I alluded to earlier, Queen Beryl is bonded to Queen Mataria, who is sort of an amorphous, malicious energy that corrupts people and makes them all (laughs) evil-like. Beryl was originally just a woman who was in love with Prince Edimion, and when he fell in love with Princess Serenity, Beryl's ill will toward them allowed her to be corrupted by Mataria, and turned into the iconic evil empress we all know and have strong feelings about. Without Materia's influence, Beryl would probably have just been a jealous ex-girlfriend, and there's basically no story. And no there. need for uh, Serena to spin around and have moon prism power. I also really love that, and I, I did not appreciate this when I was a kid, really, even though I was a geology nerd, that all of the Dark Kingdom are named after minerals. minerals. Yeah. So, like, Beryl... 
you know, zoocyte, nephrite, jadeite. It's funny that that happened back then, because especially like the really big thing right now is Steven Universe. Yes. And they're all gems too. Yes, they're too. all gems too. It just like occurred to me as I was going over this again, because there's definitely some Sailor Moon influences on the creators of Steven Universe. I just didn't realize it was so opaque that they're, they're named after because these days yeah, all the, cool. the people on the tumblr are like "Ooh, which gem are you from steven universe and it's like no which gem are you from sailor moon which gem are you from sailor moon derek tell me which gem are you i mean i always liked zoocyte, zoocyte. i thought zoocyte was pretty cool i liked nephrite personally nephrite's a good call anyway so that's queen beryl let's flip the script mm -hmm. regina why don't you tell me about your magical mama today i'm going to celebrate my favorite science fiction mama lady jessica of the science fiction epic, Dune. Oh my goodness, I do love some Frank Dune. Herbert Dune. Dune is the story of the quote-unquote hero, Paul Atreides, Jessica's son, who fulfills a destiny on rails to become a messiah figure slash world destroyer. This story features witches, the Bene Gesserits, space politics, and a precious spice called melange that both extends your life and hopelessly addicts you to it. <laughs> I'm going to be speaking about who I feel is the true protagonist of Dune, the Lady Jessica, who defies the role she is supposed to play in order to give birth to a son instead of the Bene Gesserit mandated daughter. Jessica is a witch, a mother, a concubine, a clever politician and strategist, and a paragon of personal growth in counterpoint to her son Paul, who can't seem to escape his destiny no matter the great power he amasses inside of him. It's also where my favorite mantra comes from. I will not fear. Fear is the mind killer. I will face my fear, I will let it pass through me. I will not fear. Fear is the mind killer. I will face my fear, I will let it pass through me. I will not fear. Lovely, lovely. Oh my god, I love Dune. It's so good. Yeah, it's so good. Did you see did you ever see the um uh what's his name? David Lynch. The David Lynch Dune? Of course I did. Yeah, I love that one. Isn't it awesome until it's terrible? There are pros and cons of both the David Lynch feature film Dune and the sci-fi miniseries Dune. Have you seen Jodorowsky's Dune? Oh yes. That one is interesting. I'm I'm kind of glad that movie didn't get made, but I love what we have of it. It's its own category. If only for all the art by Mobius. It's it's just yes, wonderful. Absolutely. As a thing. Anyway, let's move on. Let's talk about Lady Jessica and how she's a witch. So the first rule of witchiness is that she identifies as a female. Does Lady Jessica identify as female? Yes, Lady Jessica identifies as female and in particular as a mother. Lady Jessica is the partner and concubine to Duke Leto Atreides, and while they both love each other dearly, they decide not to wed for political reasons. Jessica's love is so great for Leto that she defies the hugely powerful and influential Bene Gesserit order that she belongs to in order to birth a son for Leto. Part of Jessica's magical training with the Bene Gesserits is that she has such control over her body she can manipulate her very cells, thus putting her in control of determining the sex of her baby. Later, she also gives birth to Alia, a daughter, who becomes permanently altered by the Reverend Mother ceremony Jessica endures while pregnant. Jessica is a fierce mother, protecting her children with every power and trick known to her. She is also very self-aware and has a fascinating inner dialogue throughout the story as she watches her 
foster son Paul grow into the Quasar Tatarak. So yeah, that's one of the things that always amazed me about Lady Jessica. The amount of like fine detail you have to be able to control in your own cells in order to control the gender of your gestating baby. Mm -hmm. That's incredible when you think about like the tiny, tiny bits of matter that she is in complete control of at all times. Yes. Like it's it's one thing to like, ooh, I picked up a rock with my mind. Okay. But like, <laughs> can you rearrange all the grains of sand on the beach is what we're talking about here. That's exactly amazing. In addition to being able to manipulate molecules and stuff, she can do what I find personally as pretty amazing feats of uh, strength and power by running through the desert while in her first trimester. Oh my goodness. I mean, in fairness, the first trimester, it, it could be worse. <laughs> I mean... It's still pretty rough. That's still pretty rough. I've been there, and I'm just telling you that getting trapped in a sand slide while being pregnant at any stage, mm. pretty much going to be miserable, let alone like running you know, from a crashed ornithopter to a safe spot in the sand so that you don't get eaten by Shai Hulud. I mean, come on. That's really pretty freaking impressive to me, wow. personally. I, I don't know that I could do it. Definitely. Okay, so the second law of witching, this is that uh, the witch in question practiced magic. Can you tell me a little bit about the magic that Lady Jessica practices? So this is another Arthur C. Clarke moment. While most of the people in Dune refer to the Bene Jesuits as witches in the derogatory... The Bene Jesuits, including Jessica, are more highly trained scientists who can exert such powerful control over their bodies that they can do feats of seeming magic, just like we were talking about manipulating cells. Mm -hmm. They can alter their body chemistry, control their very cells, modulate their voices so that their commands are irresistible, and with the aid of the spice melange, they can perform a powerful psychoactive ritual to connect them to the lineage of Bene Jesuit witches in the past. In addition, they have such clever and powerful reach that they seed worlds at their inception of new civilization to love and fear the Bene Jesuits so that they can have protections and benefits in the far future. I think they call this the Missionaria Protectiva. If it weren't for the fact that they are authored to be single-mindedly working on a selective breeding program to create a male savior who would be more powerful than any one of the Bene Jesuit women, they probably could have taken over the galaxy eons ago. See, now I'm just, I keep imagining what melange tastes like. Cinnamon. Oh yeah, you're right. Well, never mind then. <laughs> Every Cinnamon is my favorite spice, just in mm -hmm. general. And Dune is one of my favorite science fiction series ever. It's one and of the absolute best and everybody needs to read it. Everybody. And when I was old enough, having like having read Dune to make the connection, like when they described this, like the overwhelming cinnamon scent of melange, it just it made me feel like I need to go to Dune. Like that's where I need to be, where everything smells like and tastes like cinnamon. That's the ideal place to be, except for that you would probably die in the harsh conditions, and then you could never leave the planet because you'd be addicted to melange forever. But that does explain why my eyes glow whenever I have cinnamon rolls. That's definitely 
melange, yeah. Good to know. The third rule of witchiness is that the witch in question practice feminism. Can you tell me a little bit, does Lady Jessica practice feminism? So, I think she does. She practices feminism in a very patriarchal galaxy. That's important. Yeah. The Bene Gesserit witches are always partners, servants, wives, or concubines to the powerful men in the galaxy, working behind the scenes for their own goals. But Jessica, Jessica is a, a paragon of personal growth and development, and goes outside the strict laws of of both the world at large and her Benny Jesuit order to do what she wants to do. She isn't hindered by her femininity in pursuing her goals and in fact uses her position of being a powerful woman to protect her children and aid the people of Dune. I'm totally understanding why you see her as the true protagonist of the story. I had always loved Lady Jessica when reading Dune and in my like seventh or eighth reread most recently after having Violet, paying such close attention to the role of this mother figure made me really open my eyes mm -hmm. to the fact that she if, if if this series were authored by someone else with slightly different perspective she would totally be the protagonist oh yeah if it had just come probably a generation later mm -hmm. i think the sci-fi world at large would have been more welcoming of like of course she's the hero of course and uh, as i mentioned i mean you know her son is constantly struggling with this this messiah thing that he sees in his destiny like he he has these premonitions about being this world destroyer and he can see enough into the future that he is trying to manipulate things so that he can get away from the really dangerous destiny that he sees unfolding in front of himself. And no matter what he does, no matter what choices he makes, he keeps going down this path of like, I'm going to destroy the universe and have this jihad or whatever. Whereas Jessica is told, hey, you know, this, this is the destiny you need to fulfill. And she's like, nah. -uh. I love my man and I'm going to give him a son and I don't care what you say. This is what I'm going to do. That feels more heroic to me than being caught up in the wheel of fate, you know? Yeah, because of course, as we know, you can't fear fear. That's true. Yeah, you gotta listen to those lessons. It's a mind killer. That's what they tell me. So the fourth law of witchiness is that the witch in question come from a place of persecution or misunderstanding. Lady Jessica, is she persecuted? She misunderstood? Definitely both. During the course of the story, the main villain, Baron Harkonnen, sets a traitor in the house of Atreides and engineers it so that it looks like Jessica is the culprit for her husband's, and presumably, but not actually, her son's death. Many of the people in the employ of House Atreides assume her to be the villain, when in fact, she's aiding her son and getting her unborn daughter out of harm's way. She's like the ideal sci-fi mom. She kind of is. And the fifth and final rule of witchiness is Lady Jessica bonded to a sentience larger than herself. Yes, I think so. She's connected through ritual and the spice melange to all of the reverend mothers in the Bene Jesuit order throughout the past. Gotta love those those somewhat illicit substances that connect you to a greater consciousness. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're the, they're the best kind of substances. That's basically what happens, yeah. And then she, she ends up having this really tripped out conversation with the past Bene Jesuit Reverend Mother and her unborn daughter simultaneously while she's going through this ritual ceremony, which is really eerie and such. So it's pretty cool. It's a good moment in the story. Very scary and fun, yeah. Well, now that we've both introduced our witches, let's talk about our covens for a little bit. So if you could only have one of these two badass mothers in your coven, Queen Beryl or Lady Jessica, 
Which one would it be? Regina, let me know. I'm going to have to say Lady Jessica. I just really love her. The more I read Dune, the more I love Jessica. And the more strengths I see in her as a person and as a character. And she has that trait that Benny Jesuits called the voice. So she can basically manipulate people through modulating her vocal cords into doing whatever and I feel like heck that's useful to have in a coven and also she's like she's really chill she's smart and she's calm and she's used to being in a position of power and delegating you know I think she's pretty rad yeah Lady Jessica's fantastic she's a wonderful pick yeah my my issue is more that neither one of these ladies seems like much of a joiner Mm -hmm. well I mean, Jessica is part of the Bene Gesuit order. I mean, she defies them, mm-hmm. but she still lives with their tenants, and she never divorces herself from the order altogether. She just says, you know, hey, I understand that you want me to do this thing, but I'm going to do what's right for me, which, you know, I gotta respect that. Yeah, I'm just imagining, like, sitting around a candle with her and a couple of other witches and I don't really see her being into it, personally. Mm -hmm. That said, she's less dangerous to be around than Queen Beryl. So, Lady Lady Jessica. (laughs) I wish I knew more about Beryl before she got corrupted and turned evil. Because she was still a sorceress, Mm -hmm. but that's kind of all we know. Yeah, Lady Jessica's the one least likely to strangle me. Um, sure. Are, Are you thinking Lady Jessica would strangle me? I don't think that she would. I just... It feels like you're judging me more than you're judging... The witches right now. (laughs) I probably did something to deserve it. No, she wouldn't strangle you. So we we talked about her covens, we talked about Beryl, and we talked about Jessica, and it's been a long day. Our next stop is the Cauldron Cabaret. I feel like these mothers need a drink. A melange spice drink, perhaps? Ooh, I bet that our witchy bartender from Practical Magic could work up something nice. You know, all I can think is that Queen Beryl, Sabrina, and the Witches of Hocus Pocus all have had dealings with talking cats. I feel like there might be another support group happening. There might be another, like, there, there are talking cats in my life, and what do I do? You know, it's a shame there's no cats in Star Wars. Because <laughs> I, I want to see how every witch group relates to Leia. Uh-huh. And I don't think there were cats in Star Wars. But you know really. who would relate to Leia is Lady Jessica. Oh, They absolutely. would get along really well. Because you're talking about space politics, right? You're talking about being a badass mother, You're You're talking talking about about problematic sons. Problematic sons, yes. All of these things, they would really get along. Yeah, who was more emo, Adam Driver or uh, Kyle (laughs) McLaughlin? Oh, wow. I can't answer that question. That seems like, well, now I want Adam Driver to be on the new season of Twin Peaks just to see the two of them side by side. Now I want Adam Driver to be the new Paul Atreides. He'd be great at that. He would be really good at that. He would be a really good, like, reluctant messiah figure. So yeah, like, um, I mean, I can see Queen Beryl... She would absolutely not take the stage, but she would definitely sort of like have a booth somewhere in the back of the bar that she would lord over. And like when an act went really well on stage, she would make a big show of clapping loudly and cheering them on. And 
when one wasn't going well, she would just wave a hand and the stage would clear. Right, exactly. And I think there too would be, um, we, we could have a uh, extreme cheekbone competition with Beryl and Maleficent. The two of them would like, I feel they like would size each other dangerous. up at first. And then after a moment, I think they would both smile and be like, this is fine. This is fine. We're fine. This here. is fine. Let's, let's share stories. Let's toast each other. Mm-hmm. And then I feel like Ilyana would show up and be like, right? let me tell you a thing or two about my time hanging out with Moons. <laughs> yes. That's a great trio right there. I can totally see Maleficent, Beryl, and Ilyana being delightfully evil together. Delightfully evil. I feel like the Cauldron Cabaret, like during the daytime, is one of those spaces that you rent out for AA meetings now. Right, exactly. Because we have all these witchy and support and, and, groups. And, all the support groups just roll in mm-hmm. starting at like 9 a.m. You got one after another. You got a lot of issues to work out. What about Beryl and um, Leia and and something about a moon? That's no moon. That's no moon. <laughs> All right. So so similar to Sassina's Pa and Peep, we need to have like a t-shirt with Sailor Moon that says like, that's no moon. Yes. Is there a way that we could combine the imagery of Sailor Moon and the Death Star and have it say that's no moon? Yes, there is a way. We will find a way. Well, that about wraps things up for this episode of Which Witch is Which. Now that you've heard what we have to say, what do you think? Who would you invite into your coven? Let us know at witchwitchcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at witchwitchcast. That's W-H-I-C-H-W-I-T-C-H-C-A-S-T. We're going to take a brief hiatus while I go get married, but Woo! we... But we'll be back sometime around the summer solstice near the end of June. Until then, uh, don't forget to subscribe to Witch Witch is Witch on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, all the places that podcasts exist. Until then, remember, your mama's so magic, she conjured you.